Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Monday, July 25th. Mary Catherine Later has a story to tell. She was a rising star at BlackRock when she left Wall Street and traditional finance for crypto and decentralized finance. She's now chief operating officer at Uniswap Labs, creator of the world's biggest decentralized exchange protocol. Mary Catherine joined my colleague, Bloomberg reporter Olga Karif, to talk about her belief in blockchain, what comes next after the Terra collapse, and how she sees DeFi shaping the future. Here's that conversation. Mary Catherine Leder is here with us. MC, so appreciate you taking the time. Let's start by talking a little bit about your career and how you ended up in crypto. So I know you got your start at Goldman. Uh, Could you possibly walk us through the twists and turns of your career and sort of how you initially got into crypto? Well, first, thanks so much for having me. Uh, You're right. I started my career at Goldman Sachs in a completely different time. And so I had grown up always wanting to be at the intersection of how the economy works and technology and just felt like the internet was the most important thing in my lifetime. And I ended up um, in a job that was doing tech investing at Goldman Sachs. Um, And my second week is when Lehman Brothers collapsed. And so it was a front row seat to how the risk management of large financial institutions could have just a dramatic domino effect on so many people who didn't even think about the connection they might have to the global financial system. And so after a few years at Goldman, uh, I went to law school and business school thinking that there could be policy solutions to how the the financial system could work better. And then also maybe fintech might be a driver of more access. And ultimately did a fintech startup, then landed at BlackRock. My fintech startup failed and I shut it down. It was when I was at BlackRock, I think in my first or second week there, that Larry Fink, the founder and CEO, uh, made some comments about how blockchain and crypto were used for money laundering. And I'd first gotten interested in Bitcoin in 2011 uh, as a law student because I'm really interested in how the internet was creating more access to technology and financial services. And I had a seminar where we were reading about open source systems and the sort of legal implications of them. And I learned about Bitcoin. So when Larry made these comments, I wrote, in, in sort of an impertinent moment, I wrote a memo as to what I thought should be different and what BlackRock should be doing in blockchain. And I didn't think anything of it except that I hope somebody listened to me and it got forwarded to you know, senior management. And, you know, they then after a few meetings were like, OK, you figure this out. <laughs> and so uh, with, with a group of other people, you know, was, we created a working group and, and create a little lab of, of engineers who volunteered to start building prototypes. So that was in 2015. 
uh, we, did, we worked with Consensus and the Ethereum Foundation to do an Ethereum smart contract prototype. We worked with some of the different consortium groups that were being formed at the time to get big financial institutions interested in blockchain and the applications. We did work around how bank loans could be on blockchains and how equity trading and derivative settlement could be different. That got me hooked. Six months of my full-time focus at BlackRock, I then moved on to other roles, building fintech businesses for BlackRock. But I still kept a foot in crypto. And what changed, I think, a year ago was that we moved from a time of most of the energy in the crypto ecosystem being focused on building core infrastructure to a time when you could start to build applications and businesses on top of that infrastructure. And so to me, it felt like the right time to make the jump and make the move to work in crypto and Web3 full-time. A quick check of latest business flash headlines. Bitcoin passed through $60,000 as a stimulus-fueled rally of the past few months offsets concerns over speculation. Bitcoin has surged over the past year, lifted in part by support from Elon Musk and some in the corporate world. The original digital coin traded for just a few cents for several years after its debut a decade ago. It has now gained more than 1,000% in 12 months. You made the move to Uniswap, the world's biggest decentralized exchange protocol, during sort of the bull market in crypto, which is a very different situation than sort of what we are seeing today. And you alluded that it's kind of in many ways similar to the financial crisis of when you were at Goldman. And I was wondering, so today, you know, just in the last couple of months, we've seen high profile firms go insolvent, announcing bankruptcy. Crypto prices have fallen a lot. Has that shaken your convictions about DeFi? And how are your thoughts about DeFi and its promise different, if they are, from from a year ago when you made this jump from traditional finance into decentralized finance? I jumped to Uniswap in particular because I felt like it was revolutionary technology that could have a positive impact on the financial system, regardless of the market dynamics, regardless of whether token prices were up or down, but that the idea that anyone in the world can create a market for anything and that anyone can be a market maker using code, and that that could be more efficient and as effective as a central intermediary was compelling to me after 15 years in finance, and I still believe has huge potential. I, interestingly enough, I am really optimistic that we'll see more or at least a lot of partnership and innovation with big players in finance. If we're in a bear market, certainly a different time than we were a year ago for crypto. It's still a good time to be building and innovating. There's almost like less distraction from the frenzy of the market dynamics than there was a year ago. And so I, I'm really excited that this is a time when we can focus on which companies are good actors with real technology and not just riding a wave and not just excited about the hype and driven by momentum. When I was deciding whether to join Uniswap full-time, I thought really hard about what the opportunity for the company and the protocol, which are related but different, would be in any market condition. You often talk about how decentralized finance will essentially change the way traditional finance works. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that and what do you think the world will look like as the shift takes place? How will things look differently, you know, in a few years? And also, how will some of the difficult things, some of the challenges that crypto is going through right now with a lot of insolvency and bankruptcy issues, how will that impact how things develop? 
Well, first of all, the insolvency and bankruptcy issues aren't really decentralized finance, as you know really well, Olga, from from covering this. What we're seeing right now is how uh, centralized companies that were managing balance sheets didn't do a good job of managing their own risk and weren't disclosing the risk to users and investors. And I think that actors who are taking on those kinds of risks need to be treated similarly to anyone who's managing a balance sheet and, and, and managing client assets. So to me, that's not decentralized finance. That's not DeFi. That's not about changing the underlying technology. Those are almost traditional, in some senses, traditional financial forms that happen to be managing crypto as an asset class, and they did a bad job, and they're failing. Just as there were in the early days of the internet, we have a huge task ahead of us as a, as a field to reduce spam, to reduce phishing, to reduce potential risks to those who are in, interacting in Web3 and, and sort of decentralized applications and, and protocols. But that is part of what I know Uniswap Labs, we're investing in, and we are looking at different ways to screen tokens for risk. We're looking at different ways to identify what's called a rug pull when somebody could manipulate the market and drive down the price of a token. The good news is that because all this activity is on-chain, you have so much more data to work with. And so you can identify bad behavior quickly and transparently, and you can build models that can then detect that kind of um, bad behavior. So in many ways, I hope that some of the positive changes are not even observable (laughs) to individuals who just might be like saving and investing or to individuals who are trying to reach communities through token communities, for example. I hope that some of what feels safe about today's financial system is replicated, but with really different structures for make, for creating safety and more technology-driven solutions for creating some of that safety. We'll be right back with more from Bloomberg reporter Olga Karif and Uniswap COO Mary Catherine Later. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. One of your strategic goals at Uniswap is to make Wall Street more comfortable with decentralized finance and to bring them on board. And I was wondering how has Wall Street reacted to the recent events in crypto? Is it more difficult to persuade them to sort of join decentralized finance? 
There are many leaders in traditional financial services who are familiar with blockchain and have been thinking about it for years and know what the opportunities are. Every time I explain to someone who spent their career in finance what Uniswap is and how it works, that they could take tokens that they own and deposit them on a protocol and start to get the fees from trades for which they're providing liquidity, the notion that code could be a market maker kind of blows people's minds. So I haven't noticed a change in people's reactions. Some weeks it's felt like a little bit more interest from people who could partner with us and use the technology. I wonder if there's less of like a cultural resistance because you have to focus on the technology right now. It's not just about like token prices being up and to the right. That's really interesting. So there is actually more interest because maybe some of the Wall Street firms that are coming in are in there not because of speculation, but because they want to deploy this for specific business purposes where the blockchain technology could be helpful or more efficient. And that's consistent with what you know we're trying to do. Like our mission is to unlock universal ownership and exchange. And that means more people, more assets, more partners. And that means our technology has to be global financial system scale and it has to be safe and it has to be simple. That does not mean that we that like Uniswap, for example, is identifying what assets should be supported by the technology. And players in traditional finance have no shortage of assets that might benefit from being on chain, from transparent systems, from uh, simplifying the number of players and, and, and intermediaries who are in a given trade. So some of the challenge is that changing the infrastructure of financial services also means cutting someone's revenue stream and changing the incentives. But ultimately, if we end up having like somewhat more consistent infrastructure across different asset classes, I think that's a really positive outcome. And there's plenty of people on Wall Street who are excited about that. And are they waiting for sort of more regulatory certainty in terms of you know, how things shake out and what exactly do you think are some of the biggest issues that are they're waiting to to get resolved? And what's your sense as to how soon they could get resolved? We're spending a lot of time thinking about the right policy outcomes because I think the most important thing is that we have policies that protect investors effectively, that can reduce fraud, but not to regulate code that has the potential to be extremely positive for so many people and to really um, serve the interests of policymakers. So we just hired recently a head of policy and we're spending a lot of time thinking about the right kinds of policies that can achieve those objectives, protect people, uh, and keep them safe, but also mean that we don't quash the innovation of some of these decentralized protocols. So regulating NFTs is like regulating PDFs or regulating you know, a, a fungible token, which is uh, what Uniswap supports today, is like regulating, again, like a doc or something like that. And so that's not really the right lens. It's like, what is that file format trying to do? What is that format for value trying to accomplish? And what are the risks associated with it? So we need to kind of evolve the way that we're thinking about it and not be as simplistic as just bucketing all tokens and all NFTs together and, and assuming that they need some more regulatory treatment. Really interesting that we continue to see the fallout of the Terra collapse. Really, we are getting CoinMarketCap website, for example, saying that the wipeout of wealth has been around $200 billion in 24-hour time period. So really, the gyrations in the crypto space have been huge. With kind of the recent events where, you know, a lot of people have lost money through just the coin values dropping or through fraud or insolvencies of some companies. Are you concerned that this could lead to a tightening of the regulatory oversight and the regulatory environment to the point where innovation is stifled? And how do you think you can prepare for something like this? Well, smart regulation is going to be really important for the whole field's growth. 
having rules that create clarity is only positive for the companies that are building in Web3. In terms of how we can help make sure that we we end up with smart regulation, we're, as I said, we're not waiting. We're already building stuff that we hope helps serve some of those policy aims, right? So I, I mentioned that we have a team now of data scientists that are looking at how to uh, screen tokens to identify their level of risk. So one example is, you know, our system flagged the Luna coin and Terra as riskier than um, Ethereum, for example, and like it would have given a user a warning to that effect. And I think the best thing we can all be doing is just explaining what the benefits are more clearly, right? Um, why the technology is useful, and then also uh, trying to build products and features that make the whole system better. In general, traditional assets that could trade on Uniswap could include everything from like real estate to company shares to those kind of things, right? Well, in theory, because a token is just a file format, you could start to represent any kind of asset as a token, right? And so, you know, from the time when I first started working uh, when I was at BlackRock in crypto part-time in 2015, there's been excitement about tokenizing real estate or tokenizing bank loans or, you know, having all kinds of different assets in the blockchain. And there are really specific reasons why those things don't work. Because, for example, there's plenty of assets where people make money on the time that it takes to trade and the time that it takes to settle. And so there's not a lot of incentive to have those things settle and trade faster, for example. You know, I, I'm not suggesting that that we need to have a wholesale transition of how all markets work if we don't need to. There definitely are areas, like you think about long-tail fixed income, so sort of like not very frequently traded bonds or um, small cap stocks and things like that, where if you had the ability to bootstrap liquidity, that could be really advantageous, for example, for like the major ETF issuers who, who trade ETFs that uh, include fractions of those assets. Um, but effectively then what happens is the ETF ends up pricing those assets uh, as opposed to the trading of the underlying primary themselves. So that's just like one small example. And I think it's excitement about that is part of why um, Stacey Cunningham, who was the most recent president of the New York Stock Exchange until December, joined us in a, as an advisor because she was excited about different current use cases that could be moved from traditional finance um, to crypto. But we're not in the business of accelerating a lot of that right now. We're trying to just invest in the core technology and driving education about it. And then, as I mentioned, a lot and making it simpler and safer to use. So if we were to look at 10 years from now, what do you think traditional finance and, and DeFi will look like and how will it be different from today? Well, I've been around crypto long enough to know that it's really foolish to make any projections. So I'll just say, I hope it's much bigger. I hope it's much safer. I hope there's a lot more women in the whole space. And I'm optimistic that that will be a positive outcome for how the global financial system works. But who knows on what time frame? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Olga, for taking us inside of Uniswap. And thank you, Mary Catherine, for being a guest on the show. You can find Olga's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal on Bloomberg.com or follow Olga on Twitter at Olga Karif. That's K-H-A-R-I-F. There's an old joke in finance. When companies fight, lawyers win. And right now in crypto, lots of companies are fighting, some for their corporate lives. Kirkland & Ellis, one of the biggest law firms in the world by revenue, has emerged as a major player in crypto. Earlier this month, the firm signed on to work on the bankruptcy filings for both Celsius Network and Voyager Digital. There's relatively little case law that addresses how crypto assets and their holders 
should be treated in a bankruptcy. For more on this, you'll hear from Bloomberg reporter Jeremy Hill. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your questions, comments, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. And you'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Mohamed Farouk. Our producer is Sharon Bariro. Associate producer is Moses Andam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.